Well, good morning, everyone. I want to talk to you about commitment today. And I just started off with that little verse there, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So I know it's a little bit cold. I'm in this interesting situation where my feet are cold, but I'm sweating a little bit upstairs. It's like weird. I'm living in this tension between hot and cold. So I'd like you just to commit to standing up. Would you commit to standing up with me? If you could stand up for a minute. Not the whole, not the whole time. I'm not into calling you to ridiculous commitments that really don't mean anything, but I'd just like you to stand with me. And I'm really glad that you've committed to standing with me because that's so important, I think, to stand with me. Um, And what I'd like to do is we're just going to get a bit curious about commitment. Typically, these sermons can get pretty legalistic. And by legalistic, I mean, here is the standard of commitment. I'm going to tell you what commitment is. I'm now going to tell you that I believe you're not committed enough. And then whatever this gap is, you need to do something about it. Okay, you can sit down. No, no, don't sit down. That's not what I want to do today because I want to talk about the why of commitment. And I actually want to talk about what the basis of commitment might be. So you've committed to something. You've committed to a goal right now. uh, And that's cool. You've committed to standing for a minute. I think we're about 30 seconds through. So well done, everyone. So far, you are fulfilling your commitments. Well done. Uh, And really, it's it's not so much... Oh. Look, it's not so much about, again, me, I guess, hitting you with a big rod or anything. It's just genuinely getting curious about what commitment is, but the big thing, why? Why commitment? And so the dictionary tells us that commitment is the trait of sincere and steadfast fixity of purpose. So you are fixed on a purpose at the moment, aren't you? We're about 10 seconds to go. You're going well. Or it's the act of binding yourself intellectually or emotionally. Uh, to a course of action. And then other words for it are allegiance, dedication, and loyalty. So you can sit down now. So this is part of our rethinking sermon. And you just heard from Gabby and Estian and just heard from Tim. And it has been a pretty emotional time over the last few months. And it's been this time where, yeah, we actually did feel like the shadow of death was upon us. When we drove down to Canberra, we genuinely thought that SDN might not going to be make it because he was having all these neurocognitive things and it felt like it was getting really, really serious. And even my sister, who's an emergency nurse, said, you should come down now. And so we were kind of, yeah, we were really scared, basically. And it was interesting because in that time, even as we were going down, Pastor Stuart Peeper, he prayed for us and we saw these three rainbows and all these weird little thunderstorms everywhere in the middle of nowhere. And it was just like God was saying, hey, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And so out of all that experience has come this sermon and this sermon series, which is rethinking Willowburn, rethinking us, rethinking the church, rethinking what our commitment should look like into the future. And this rethinking idea is just, it just it's, not, it's not anything big. It just means taking what we're doing and holding it up to the scriptures and going, what do you want us to do, Lord? It's just reconsidering, reassessing, renewing. So can we, can we, do you think we can do that today? Can we rethink it a little bit? Now, at the end of this passage, I just gave you whatever was to my prophet I now consider for loss. At the end of that passage, Paul says this, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then it says this, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, God will make that clear to you as well. I love that. I love that Paul's just sitting in prison there and he goes, I want you to think like this if you're mature, but even if you don't, that's okay because God will rethink for you. So as we 
sort of go through this sermon, I want us to realize that it's actually God who wants us to rethink, not me, not even you. God wants us to rethink. He wants us, I think, to continually assess, appraise where we're at. But if, on, if you think differently, well, God will make that clear to you as well. It kind of lets us off the hook as preachers, it doesn't. It's like, if I preach faithfully and you think differently, well, God will make that clear to you. <laughs> like, I just think it's, it's just a release, isn't it? It's great. Uh, Whatever's to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So consider, imagine a picture. I really love what Tim said, because I work like that too. Oftentimes I remember pictures from the Bible, word pictures. But here's a word picture for you. A man who's probably in his 50s. He's seen so many blessings of God and he's sitting in a pretty, probably dank cell. He's previously written, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. (laughs) Uh, And he's just, you know, there's probably... Horrible things going on. There's maybe horrible thoughts that are just plaguing him. The emperor isn't very kind to Christians at this time. And he's sitting there and he's thinking back on his life and he says, whatever is to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So whatever you think about Paul and what do you think about Jesus, what we see here, I think, in this, in this verse is that, that Jesus was so big to Paul. Because he says here, whatever was to my profit. So you consider what you consider to be to your profit. So what do you commit to in your lives? Maybe use time as a metric. So if time is a metric of commitment, what are the things that you spend a lot of time on? What were the things that Paul used to spend a lot of time on? He was a Pharisee. He was spending time learning the law and so forth. And then he says, I just consider all that a loss. Whatever, whatever, whatever all that stuff was, I consider a loss. This, this is massive, isn't it? So uh, while we're thinking about what and how big Jesus was to Paul and how special Jesus was and how delightful Jesus was to Paul, I want us to think about 1969, 50 years ago, because we know that what's this year, anniversary-wise? 50th anniversary of the lunar landing of Apollo 11. So here's the Saturn V rocket that it was launched on. It had three parts. The command module is right at the top. This thing is nothing but fuel and rocket engine and three blokes to the top of it, at the top of it. It's just amazing feat of engineering and ingenuity. God gifted, you know, this is us, Amago Day, this is us bearing humanity, bearing God's image of creating. It's incredible. It's all a gift from God, this creativity. And of course, I love machines because I fly helicopters. And this would have to be one of the ultimate machines. As of 2019, this Saturn V rocket is still the biggest. The biggest rocket ever. It's the heaviest rocket ever. 140,000 kilos it could carry. In today's dollars, each launch of this bad boy was $1.16 billion. That's one expensive rocket ride, eh? It was 363 feet or 110 meters high. So how well do you know your local geography? Who knows what the tallest building in Toowoomba is? Take a guess. So the Condamine Centre is the second tallest. The tallest is the Cottesloe Building, which is the building at the top of the range, the uh, range of apartments. It is, guess how high? 49 metres. So next time you go past the Cottesloe Building, as you're going down the range, imagine a rocket that's twice as high as that. That's how big this thing is. It burnt 12,890 kilograms of fuel every second. (laughs) Your car probably burns 10 kilos of fuel 
every hour. Imagine that. It's burning a swimming pool of fuel every second. One, two, three, four. For 168 seconds is the first booster. 168 times 12,000 kilos. <laughs> What's really interesting is the command module at the top has a little computer in it. And that computer has a massive 24 kilobytes of memory. <laughs> it's 50 years ago and they're letting a little computer with 24 kilobytes of memory. I mean, on your iPhone or on your computer, that's one of those annoying files that you never look at anymore. You know, even a photo is what, two or three meg? And they did it though. They actually landed. No iPhones, no smart devices, no supercomputers or AI. They landed. And um, Neil Armstrong, he's the first guy off, as you know. Buzz Aldrin's the next guy on July 20, 1969, 2017, as in uh, 817 UTC, or 2017 UTC. Uh, something special, but now, what's, this, is, this is cool. Something special actually happens, because when they land, and there's all sorts of stories about um, nearly running out of fuel, and nearly landing in a crater, and you can read about that elsewhere, but while they're waiting for six hours before they go out, they're supposed to sleep, but something special happens. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but what I want us to do is just think for a minute the amount of commitment that took. To take three men and put them around the moon and then two of them to actually step on that dead rock. Imagine the commitment. So here's a little video clip of Apollo 11, which is a movie which they've just taken all the 70 millimeter film and redone it, and some of which has never been made accessible to people before. And so it's now available, and there was a film, and I'm so sorry I missed it because it just finished its run at the theatres, but there's no narration or anything. It's just, as, as, as I understand, I'm going to see it when it comes out, hopefully on Netflix or something. But um, they've redone it, and just have a look at this and just have a feel and have a think about the commitment because it's like you're there again because now the faces are sort of in HD rather than that kind of grainy old film. as far as the responsibilities of representing mankind on this trip? That's uh, relatively difficult to, to answer. Uh, it's a job that we collectively said that was possible and we could do. And, and of course, the, the nation itself is backing us. So we just sincerely hope that we measure up to that. program was designed to get two Americans to the lunar surface and back again to Earth safely. The enormity of this event is something that only history will be able to judge. Apollo 11 has very simply been given the mission of carrying men to the moon, landing them there, and bringing them safely back. Uh, I don't know, has anyone seen it? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Those, those visuals. 
uh, they've never been seen like that before and it kind of takes you there and again you think about what an amazing achievement that was the commitment that was required and I actually feel pretty blessed because not that we're putting people on the moon but you know I get to be part of an organization that flies these uber helicopters around and I just see commitment in my workplace all the time I just took a couple of tweets as screen grabs just from the last well, couple of days really and there's always missions that are going up there so this one was a multi-agency response to a child required New South Wales police fireys ambulance and the helicopter with our four crew members on board you know I think again of all that commitment to save this one life we also do stuff in the snow which gets a little bit challenging at times because the helicopter doesn't perform as well in the Alps, in the Australian Alps, because it's six, 7,000 feet high, air's thinner, not as much power margin and so forth. And again, up there, there they are doing that job. And, you know, I get to be the safety manager of that. I get to help buttress their safety margins. I get to help make sure that, you know, we're doing things properly and well, not just for them, but for the patients. And again, I just see commitment all around me, all the time. Here's the the cockpit of this machine. It's all glass cockpit as it's known now for multifunction displays. Think about the commitment it takes to learn that machine, to learn it really well, to fly it well. You know, we're a high risk organization, but we're also a high commitment organization. See it all the time. The pilots are getting tested all the time. Imagine having to do three road tests, driving tests every year where you're heavily scrutinized, including written assessments. You'd be like, hmm, what do I have to do this again? And yet they do it because of their commitment. And Paul talks about commitment. Paul talks about commitment as well. In fact, the Bible talks about it all the time. And he talks about this commitment uh, that's a sacrificial, high-order commitment. This is what he says. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. For who? For the sake of Christ. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. I consider them rubbish. So you think about any good thing that Paul had experienced. You think about any good thing that you've experienced. And Paul says, when you hold that up to my delight in my relationship with Jesus, it is excrement that's what the greek word is it's waste and when we look at stuff though that we delight in we, don't, we never say that because we go no no this is really good i enjoy my family I enjoy my house i enjoy my netflix i enjoy my car etc etc none of those things are bad in and of themselves but what you need to understand is what paul is saying is if you know and grow in your relationship with jesus it will fill you with such delight that those things they'll just appear to be rubbish almost in comparison it's an extreme comparison um we'll come back to this in a minute but i just want to rejig the verse for a minute for neil armstrong so because you actually see people applying this verse all the time you see people all over the world applying it all the time and you could apply it yourself if you think about the lunar mission whatever was to my profit i now consider loss for the sake of the lunar mission if you think about the time as a metric Whatever was to my loss, I consider, sorry, whatever's to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of my job, for the sake of maybe my family, for the sake of my recreational activities, you know. People are doing this all the time, and I don't say it in a condemnatory way, it's just how we are as humans. We, we prioritise things in terms of time. 
and we say, this is what we'll do. And as a result, other things are lost because you're a finite being living in a chronological linear time stream. You can't enjoy this and then go back and enjoy something else that's happening at the same time. You are limited. So you make choices all the time about what you'll consider to be loss and what you'll consider to be profit. It's interesting because Neil Armstrong has one regret in one of the interviews. He says, I just have one regret. He's, he's now dead. And he says, it's that I didn't get time to spend with my kids. You can imagine the amount of time that he was away. He was married for 38 years and unfortunately was divorced at the end of those 38 years. Nonetheless, though, it was an amazing achievement. And so I just want to pray and play another little clip from an, uh, a 60 Minutes video. It's not very long. And it gives you the context for that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind when he says it. And I want you to notice as he comes down the ladder what he does because he's worried no one's stepped on the moon before. Will I sink into it? Now, hopefully the lander pads are in a secure area, but they didn't know for sure. So he's like, you'll see when he says it, he's got one foot doing these ones with the big space suit. But just think about, just, just listen again to what he says, because there's a big commitment Houston, statement that uh, comes out. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. The ghostly image was beyond words. Armstrong paused on the bottom rung of the ladder and planted his left boot on the lunar dust. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Do you recall how you came up with that? A small step for a man. What was the inspiration for? I thought, well, when I step off, it's just going to be a little step. It's going to be a step from there down to there. But then I thought about all those 400,000 people that had given me the opportunity to make that step and thought, it's, it's, it's going to be a big something for all those folks and indeed a lot of others that even weren't even involved in the project. So it was a, a, a kind of a simple correlation of thoughts. Did you hear how many people he said got him there? 400,000. Now consider for a moment, how many people have got you to where you are today? I mean, in terms of your relationship with Jesus. I reckon it would be even more than that. Even more. Not, not the big pulpit celebrities who kind of, even now today, some of them just rise up and then burn out. But people who were faithfully telling the gospel here, there and everywhere, sharing it. You do, if you could trace out the trajectory of the message, how it comes from Judea all the way around the world through time and space to you now, it would be more than 400,000, I'm sure. And you can probably see where I'm going with all of this. If we could take uh, all this effort, all this commitment, all these relationships, 400,000 worth, and put men on a dead rock and then bring them home again, how much more so, when our hearts are stirred by this noble theme of following Jesus, how much more so this noble theme of the new creation, this noble theme of a God who has come from the cosmos, from, the, from, from being ruler of the cosmos and died, how much more so for us? You know, here's a, a, a picture of Mission Command. There's just a few people there, really, out of the 400,000. And again, for us, you know, there's 140 people at Toll, but there's 100 and, and in Toll Helicopters, there's 140 paramedics and doctors. And this is just from last month, 246 missions. 
lots of dedicated, committed people just most of the time to help one person on one mission. It's, it's amazing. And probably if you count all the taxpayers that are paying for this down there, you probably are up in the 400s of thousands or whatever. So at this point, though, a horrible thought comes into my head because I start to superimpose and just being curious, I guess, with commitment. And I go, what if the church was Apollo 11? And I say this as someone who loves the church and I say this as someone who has served the church pretty much my whole life. But if the church was the Apollo 11 mission, I think in one section of mission command, people would be arguing over ambiguous parts of the operations manual. They'd be arguing over whether or not they should be doing a full-on launch to the moon or just doing it in two separate stages. There'd be all these arguments that would never probably be resolved. They might be fighting over the fact that a woman was allowed in mission command. Just one, by the way, was allowed. In another part, there'd be air various interest groups within mission command arguing back and forth about particular points of operational doctrine. Some parts of mission command, people would be a little bit uh, bored with the whole thing. So they would be maybe Netflixing, Facebooking, Twittering, etc. And in one part of the mission command, there were people going through what we now call deconstruction, where we deconstruct our faith and we move away from it. So we deconstruct our faith in the mission. If the church was a helicopter rescue crew, and I actually had this picture come to me really powerfully one day when we were on a job, we went out to do a job just out here on the Western Downs. A guy had, had a cardiac arrest, he had a heart attack. And we got out there, we landed, the crew jumped out and ran off. And then as I was shutting down the machine, and then going over and we're helping with chest compressions and stuff, I was literally suddenly struck with this massive thought, which was, if this was the church, my team would still be arguing. My team would still be distracted. So when I think of all that, and I know that sounds a little bit heavy, but when I think of all that, I think, man, we really do need to rethink our commitment. And we need to ask not just what commitment is, but why such commitment? I think God asks this as well, because again, we see Jesus at various times in the New Testament where he's actually physically moved and distressed by the state of people's hearts and their lack of commitment. Like in Mark, for example, when he's looking at the Pharisees, who should have known far better, they were the, the well-educated churchgoers, law, you know, law leaders, law keepers. He says there that we're told there that he looks at their stubborn hearts and, he, and he's deeply distressed, deeply grieved. So we really need to ask, well, what is the basis of our commitment? This is where I get a bit curious and go, why? Why is it sometimes me? I'm like, I'm really kind of full on for God. And other times I'm like, oh, just get me through this day. And I come back and it's so good to read the word because the word kind of protrudes through that. And it'd be so good, I think, that in our dark times, if we'll just commit to picking up the Bible and reading it, in our dark times when we're feeling burdened, don't feel like maybe even going to church, we just go to church anyway. Because I really believe that maybe God will actually speak to us and help us with our commitment. But if we come back to Paul now, and I just ask this question, what is the basis of our commitment? What is the basis of our commitment? So I'd like you to stand up again. For last time you did well, you committed to standing up for a minute. Okay. Now I want to make a qualitatively different commitment. Maybe if you're a couple, turn to the couple. As in, if you're a couple, husband and wife, turn to each other. And if you're sisters, you can do whatever. 
or just turn to each other in the pulpit and go, I'm committing to you. Okay, okay, you can sit down again now. You can keep looking at each other lovingly if you want to. That's awesome. Before you committed to a goal, you committed to a task, you committed to a mission. That time you committed to a person and maybe it was a bit awkward looking into each other's eyes. But I want you to understand that the basis of your commitment as a Christian is not committing to a cause. It's not committing even to the gospel. It's not even committing to being evangelical or committed. They're all subsets. They're all lesser cousins of the main commitment. The main commitment is you commit to your relationship with the Lord Jesus. You commit to Jesus. You commit to him. You look at him in the eyes and you say, I commit to you. We know faith is not just trust and dependence. It is allegiance. It is relational marriage-like love. That's why Paul here says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of what? Of knowing, of relating, of presencing, of abiding, of enjoying Jesus' presence. That's why in a horrible situation in hospital or a horrible situation looking at death or a horrible situation looking at bankruptcy or whatever, everything else if your relationship is sound, everything else becomes lesser. It becomes lesser. The, the, the trouble, I think, with our commitment is we're always going, I'm going to commit to this for you, Jesus. I'm going to commit to that maybe, or, or maybe you don't even care. And, and, but the thing is, you need to realise that when you don't care, it's a bit like me and Kerry, in a way. You would have seen the little love heart I put up there. You know, I didn't go and buy that heart because I'm committed to marriage. I didn't go and buy that love heart. It's a Shrofsky love heart, everyone. It's a heart within a heart. It's so cool. I was so happy to find it. I woke up one morning and I had in my words, in my head, these words, which sort of come from, because it was our wedding anniversary. It comes from my, um, from our past, from our actual wedding where it's, uh, we talk about oneness and stuff, but the words that literally came to me were many years ago, we shared our hearts and today they beat as one. And I really have seen the Lord do that in our lives. And so I wanted to go and buy a present. I didn't know what it was going to be. And I dropped Gabby off because we were down there with them at the time. And then I just found myself driving to driving a Civic. And then I found myself in there. It was weird. In the shops, I had no intent. I had no goal. And I'm wandering around. Then I saw the Shrofsky. And I thought, oh, maybe there's something in there. And I saw the four-leaf clover. I thought, I've already bought one of them. for it. Was, I thought it was a tulip or something. And it was. And it was a four-leaf clover. Anyway, it looks like a daffodil or something. So then... So, but then I saw these hearts and it's a heart within a heart. You'll see it again come up shortly. And I thought, that's such a beautiful picture because it's sort of our oneness, but it's also God's heart around our heart. Now, I could have committed to marriage. I could have committed to the idea of care, but when I'm committed to her, I want to buy her cool stuff. And it's so interesting that the Bible insists on one of the metaphors of our relationship with Jesus is that marriage type metaphor. And it was weird because... Through my work experience, we get a lot of psychologists come through and we get a lot of experts on safety. And the big toll expert came and delivered some training. And this is what he said. Relationship, in terms of safety, is seen as the foundation of any and all accomplishment. He could have said so many other things about what safety is, but he said it's relationship. I mean, if they can say that, no wonder Paul says it comes from knowing Christ that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in Christ. And we know faith is dependence and it's allegiance. It's a relationship. That's why the Bible over and over again talks about walking with God or walking with Jesus even through the power of the Spirit, walking before God. 
walking in the ways of God, looking to the Lord, seeking the face of God, serving before God, calling on the name of the Lord, abiding in the Lord, walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, friend of God. These are all looking at Jesus in the eyes, in a sense, figuratively speaking, and committing to Jesus as we look into his eyes. You look into a face. You don't look into a force or a goal or a commitment. The goal and the commitment comes from looking to his eyes, looking to him, looking to Jesus. That's why Paul says this strange thing. It's a very strange thing to say. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's not strange. That's anyone would want to know, like being resurrected. Death is such a big problem for us. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. That's the strange bit. Who wants to share in Jesus' sufferings? They were horrible sufferings. His, his, I barely even need to go into the details. The picture is already in your head. It was terrible. He, he, he groaned terribly. He was, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was whipped. He was scourged. Who wants to? Who wants to do that? Well, Paul does. And the reason is, is because he has so, become so enamored with Jesus that if Jesus, and he's following Jesus, and he wants to be with Jesus, just like you want to be with your wife or your lover, uh, Jesus is going into suffering. He, Jesus says, I'm going into suffering, Paul. This is a picture I have. And Paul's like, well, I can either be here by myself or I can be with Jesus in his suffering. I want to be with Jesus, even if it's suffering. <laughs> that's how I see this. He loves him so much that that's where he will go. Now, you think about sending men to a dead moon. Well, why did we do that? $1.16 billion just for one launch. Now, some people argue we've got all sorts of technology and stuff from it, which we have. Here's a picture of the flag, which is sort of a symbol of that con- conquest and, uh, and that achievement. It was just a $5 flag, $5 nylon. You can get it from any shop. Now, what's interesting is as they blasted off, Buzz Aldrin, out of the corner of his eye, saw the rocket blast hit that flag and knock it over. Which is really interesting because just recently, what we've got here are some photos from the LRO, the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, which was taken in 2009. It's not very clear on the slide to you, but the one on the 11 is Apollo. So the one on the left is Apollo 11. So the Apollo 11 landing site. So this is about 10 years ago. And you can see the, the lander that they use. You can see some waste stuff that they left there. And then the one on the right is the next one, Apollo 12. And again, you can't see it very clearly because of the projector, but you can actually see the shadow of the flag. So the flag's still standing up on all the other ones except for Apollo 11 because they learnt their lesson and made sure the flag was further away next time. But here's the thing, because of the terribly harsh environment, the UV light and so forth, these flags are all no longer American. Sorry, Tiff. They are bleached completely white. They're just white. There's just a flag with nothing on it, which I think is kind of quite poetic because really all of humanity saw this as a kind of accomplishment. And you can't take anything away from our friends in America. I mean, far out. That's awesome. But all of humanity saw it as something. But this now leads me to something incredibly timeless and ageless that occurred on the moon. Because that's over now. 50 years gone. We were supposed to have colonies on Mars. This is how the meme goes. And you gave me Facebook. You got Facebook. We're not at Mars. Not even really close to Mars. Um, Neil Armstrong's now dead. Buzz Aldrin's a great guy, but really old. Michael Collins, the other one that no one ever remembers, he's also really old. And everybody has moved on, except for some anniversary stuff. That's the reality of it. Now, out of those three pictures of Armstrong, Aldrin and Collins, I love this one because you look at the three of them and, you know, 
Armstrong's quite serious. Michael Collins is quite serious. But look at this guy. Like, bit of a cheeky grin on the face there, you know? A little bit of a larrikin, maybe. I don't know. So do you feel yourself sort of just warm to him a bit? He's kind of looking around going, oh, this is pretty cool. Um, something really special happened in the six hours while they were waiting. I was supposed to sleep, but they couldn't sleep. They were too excited. What happened was this. El, uh, Buzz, Buzz Aldrin was an elder in a Prezi church. And he asked the Presbyterian elders whether he could take the communion elements to space and have communion on the moon. So while they were there for six hours, Aldrin got onto the comm system and he spoke back to the ground crew and he said, I'd like to request a few moments of silence. I would like to invite each person listening in, wherever and whomever they may be, to contemplate for a moment the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his own individual way. He then read a couple of Bible verses from John and from Psalms. Then he reached for the wine and bread, and that picture there is the elements, uh, is the container that he used. And these were the first time that communion had been taken in, on the moon, obviously. He said, I poured the wine... I poured the wine into the chalice of our church um, that the church had given me. And in the one-sixth gravity of the moon, the wine curled slowly and gracefully up the side of the cup. And so Aldrin spent this time doing something really unexpected. And what's really interesting to me is in that moment, as Neil Armstrong just quietly looked on, it was broadcast back to the ground station, but these were the years where a person called Madeleine O'Hare was suing the backside off NASA because all these astronauts were going up getting inspired and quoting scripture and stuff and she said you need to separate that out anyway the lawsuit lawsuit came to nothing but nasa didn't want to provoke so they kept it a bit of a secret until recently but think about that communion what is communion it's literally a word for for relationship for you know we get a, a similar word community a buzz aldrin this is such a picture for us because it could be space it could be at home it could be at in the coffee shop, it could be in a funeral parlor, it could be at toll helicopters, it could be wherever you find yourself, you take your relationship with Jesus there. You take that beautiful communion with Jesus there. You, you, you take the Holy Spirit who speaks to you and who has you on his agenda and curriculum and methodology, which is on the job type training. He's teaching you, he's changing you. And, and wherever you go, kind of, you, he goes. And so wherever Buzz Aldrin went, he just took his relationship with him. He didn't get in there and preach. He just had communion. And now it inspires people like us and inspires people all over and serves as a testimony and a witness. It's absolutely amazing. Here's the scripture that he read. It's, this is a genuine bit of paper that it was written on. Look, picture of it. You see what verse it is? Can you make it out? You see what? Yeah. It's John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me, or your Bibles would say, abides in me, and I in him, they will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Imagine, I know when I've been in the military away and out of my comfort zone, I read things like that, and it just goes straight into your heart, and it's just like a little explosive bomb of joy that goes off. I can only imagine how it was for Buzz Aldrin. He was just committed to his relationship. So when you think of commitment i want you to actually think as we go forward as a church into our circles structure which we've talked about previously but i want you to think of commitment as your relationship with jesus i want you to imagine that you are not committing to a cause you're not committing to the cause of christ 
you're actually committing to him and the cause of Christ then follows because you're following him. If you don't believe me, what I would like you to do is I'd like you to read the words of Paul with these glasses on that I've given you today. I would like you to go through maybe even Philippians, just go through Philippians and read how many times you will see this, I love you, Jesus. I delight in my relationship with you, Jesus. And we go, we, we can easily go, but I can't see you, Jesus. You know, at least the early disciples could see Jesus, but Paul couldn't. Paul, Paul only saw him in a vision. And then out of this relationship with Jesus, this kingdom relationship, comes the mission. That's all I pretty much want to say today. Um, I had a whole bunch more. I wanted to put all my circles and things like that up. But what I want to do is actually just jump to the end because we're already getting late. Um, And we have committed as a church to restructure, to rethink. And that's why there's no point changing your structure if your heart and soul isn't there. And so we're just going to model some of this for you. But two Sundays a month, we're going to have our open circle Sundays, which will be this. And they'll be postured towards our building your relationship with Jesus, bringing you back to the word and also the living word. That is why I really want us to commit to coming to church regularly because these two open circle Sundays are literally open to God, but also open to the outer circle Sunday, which will be the third Sunday. And on the third Sunday is when you're going to use that Sunday to maybe serve some people in your neighborhood or have them over for a meal or or have a singing group or an arts group or whatever you want. And so these open circle Sundays are all about preparing us for that. So rather than just coming in receive mode, we should already be thinking, okay, the third Sunday of the month, I'm going to be doing X. What do I need, Lord? Well, I need some commitment. I need some encouragement. We can ask him for that. You can ask your brothers and sisters to pray for that. So it's all going to be postured towards that. And then the big circle Sunday on the fourth Sunday after the outer circle Sunday will be literally the big circle in here looking at each other and telling us, how it went, telling us what you need for the next one, telling, telling you maybe how you failed terribly. There's nothing wrong with failure. That's good. That shows us what we need to change and what the Lord needs to do in our lives. And we're going to be open in the open circle Sundays to prophesying, to leading, to preaching, to communion, to singing. Thanks for leading us like that today, Tim. That was so good. Third Sunday, we're all going to be out there, the church out there. And of course... These circles, I mean, many of you are already out there. Um, so what does that all mean, though? So I just want to come back to, to this idea of Neil Armstrong. I want him to have the last word because it's easy to look at the moon landing. It's easy to look at some super pulpit celebrity in the States or look at some awesome ministry that's going on or look at some other church and go, wow, that's our, that's our, that's our measure of success. Well, let me let Neil Armstrong say something very interesting. (laughs) You said once to a reporter, how long must it take before I cease to be known as a spaceman? Why did you make that comment? I guess we all like to be recognized not for one uh, piece of fireworks, but for the ledger of our daily work. I'll get tingles. (laughs) We all like to be recognized not for one piece of fireworks, but from the ledger of our daily work. I mean, imagine that. <laughs> imagine you, I imagine all of you just out there 
in that kingdom work where you're taking your relationship with the Lord Jesus, you're sharing, you're serving, you're loving, you're growing, wherever you are, wherever, and, and no one notices. No one notices. One person notices, though. You're not recognised for a great big massive piece of fireworks, but from the ledger of your daily kingdom work, your master, your lord, your lover, your living Lord Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, there's a plaque on the moon which did last and it says, we come in peace for all mankind. There was another who came in peace for all mankind and he also came into the deadness of life but he actually changed it forever. That moon is still a dead moon. But when Jesus came, wherever he went, it's like C.S. Lewis, you know, at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, at the end of the line, the witch in the wardrobe, wherever Aslan goes, flowers are sprouting and people are coming back to life and sick people are getting better. It's the same thing. Wherever Jesus went, I'm sure if Jesus walked on the moon, there'd just be little bits of green that would suddenly appear behind him and who knows, and the atmosphere, you know, terraforming. And maybe in the new creation, the moon will actually be a little planet we can go to. Uh, that is like ours, who knows. But whatever is to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. So as we come to the communion table now, I would just like us to think and remember our Lord and remember our brother Boz Aldrin who shared this communion meal. Remember all those nameless, faceless people whose ledger of hard work is recorded in the new kingdom. That means you're here now today to enjoy and to have the potential to enjoy the delight of a relationship with Jesus. All of them who have taken communion over many thousands of years, you are connected to them. And as you come and you participate, you won't see the wine or the grape juice curl up inside the glass. Maybe you will. Um, you won't see that, but that actually represents that event and so many other events, so many Christians, so many hardworking Christians all through history, all leading back to their Lord and Master, the Lord Jesus, who laid down his life for us. So let's remember him. I'm going to pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I want to thank you, Lord, that you came for us. I want to thank you that no matter how far away we might feel or how distant we might feel or how distant some of our relatives might feel from you or some of our friends or some of our acquaintances. Lord, if you're willing to come into the death and the suffering of our life, then you're surely willing to keep coming for them. And so, Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. And I just pray that each of us in these coming months and years, would grow in our relationship with you. We'd grow in grace. And we remember you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Estin, would you break the bread for us today? Thank you. So Estin will break the bread for us, which reminds us of the body broken for us, the Lord Jesus, of his commitment to us. That's a pretty big commitment. He looked you in the eyes in a sense and came for you. And then we'll take the cup and we'll hold the cup together and drink it together. So 
in your own time. Thanks, Estian.